Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are going to be talking about The Mitchells versus The Machines. And joining me is Josh Stifter from Flush Studios. He is a filmmaker, an animator, and I thought he would be a great guest for this one. And sure enough, we had a great conversation about this movie and a little bit about how this movie just kind of came out of nowhere and just blew all of us away. It is such a great movie. One of the best animated films in the last few years. And, you know, we don't cover enough animated films here on Piecing It Together, so I'm really glad we got a chance to do this episode. So that is coming up in a second. But before we get into it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. We're, of course, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Pocket Casts, on all the rest of them. And uh, also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And also, if you like what we're doing here on Piecing It Together, don't forget to rate and review. You can do that over on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser. We would definitely appreciate your five-star ratings, but we also want to hear your feedback. So leave a full-fledged review, and I will uh, appreciate that very much. Also, you know, I feel like this is the first uh, regular numbered episode we've had in, like, I don't know, like a week or two now, it seems like. Uh, I guess since Godzilla vs. Kong, which itself was already like a couple of week old movie at that point because I was waiting for my vaccine and all that before I got to see it. So I feel like we haven't been on the brand new releases for a few weeks. And so it's good to uh, to be up with this Mitchells versus the Machines episode. But we have a lot of piecing it together coming your way. It's going to be a big mix, though, of breaking it apart, of missing pieces, of new numbered, you know, regular episodes, also of special bonus episodes and things like that. Lots of stuff. I've been really busy scoring this film right now, so it's kind of getting in the way of my schedule for podcasting just a little bit, but we will continue to have episodes every week, whether it's something or something else, but one way or another, lots of piecing it together coming your way, so make sure you're subscribed. Now, let's get into that conversation about the Mitchells versus the Machines. All right, so this should be a really fun one because it is such a fun movie and it's going to be so much fun to talk about. Joining me today is Josh Stifter from Flush Studios. Josh, how's it going? It is going good. I like this. I'm a big fan of Saturday morning, early, get up and record a podcast. And we're, we're doing yes. this early, so it's fun to get up and talk about a movie that has been on repeat in my house for the nice. last week since it dropped. It's and not just my kids. <laughs> it's yeah. like a. It, it's going to be one of those comfort go to movies that we'll be talking about in my family for a long time. Yeah, this movie is like a real pick me up too. I mean, it's just like such a burst of energy and like fun, happy, good natured energy. It's like definitely a good one to have on repeat. Yeah, it has the energy of the movies I really loved when I was a kid, and I think that. You know, my kids growing up in the household of filmmaker, just to, to, to get it out of the way, I am a filmmaker. That's what I do. Sure. And my kids have grown up in this world where they understand filmmaking, they understand the process, and they're the, kind of, they're the kids that sit down and go, Dad, how did they do that? And mm. this movie came out, Mitchells vs. the Machines, 
at the perfect time for us as a family as we're kind of returning to this new norm that we're about to have. Sure. Uh, it came out at this time where we needed something as a pick-me-up and an energy and where none of us are actually thinking about the filmmaking process. We're going, this is just a good family movie. Wow, we've been stuck together as a family. This is what it's going to be like when we go out, hopefully not fighting machines and right. in, in this world, but like this family adventure and the you know road trip of it all that's possible or even the road trip that is literally going out to get dinner somewhere is feels like an adventure so going on the adventure with the mitchells was was really fun for us absolutely yeah Th this is already so uh so pure and positive i i love it but um <laughs> why why don't we uh before we get too deep into the movie uh why don't we have you introduce yourself to our listeners here and a little bit more about you and your filmmaking yeah, I'm Josh Stifter. Uh, I'm a filmmaker from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I've been filmmaking for, uh, I mean, filmmaking is one of those things that you, you kind of always do or you don't do. Mm -hmm. So I've been filmmaking since I was a kid when I stole my dad's video camera. Nice. And then, you know, in high school, to get out of doing any assignment, I would try to do a video assignment instead. I, that's one of the things about uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines is I just instantly connected to... Um, the filmmaking of Katie and like how she, you know, connected with filmmaking in that way. That was me. Like I was that kid who was all about cinema, but then yeah. also about like Beetlejuice and also about, you know, Evil Dead and everything and just, you know, connected with filmmaking on a personal level. And it's what my, it's how my friends and I connected as kids and still do to this day. I make movies with the same guys I made movies with when I was Five, like literally the same guys I was making movies with when I was five. So I got into filmmaking as a kid and then got into animation and have been professionally animating for the last 10 years or something like that. I animated for Kevin Smith, um, Robert Rodriguez. I've done animation with Troma and Lloyd Kaufman. And uh, from there, the last few years, I've been doing my own feature films. I, I was on Rebel Without a Crew, the Robert Rodriguez television series where I had to make a movie for $7,000. And from that came my movie, The Good Exorcist. And then mm -hmm. after that, I made Greywood's Plot and I'm working on my third feature, Scumbag. And, you know, the sky's the limit when it comes to creativity. So I just keep keep moving forward and trying crazy ideas. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, that's Part of the reason why I reached out to you about doing this episode, um, because, you know, I've seen a, a lot of the stuff that you post on Twitter and everything and in your YouTube channel. And I know how how important that, like, do yourself aesthetic of filmmaking is to you. And, you know, especially with that that character and just how important filmmaking is to her. I think that that kind of touches on a nerve that, like doesn't come up too much and maybe it's because this film is animation they're able to like really get into just how uh crazy and uh, you know outside the box filmmaking can be when you really uh embrace that side of things and i think that you know you're definitely going to be great for talking about a lot of that stuff with this particular conversation but one one thing i want to get into before we uh jump into puzzle pieces is the release of this movie, did you know this was coming or did it just come out of nowhere for you too? So this movie was, my friends and I consistently have these conversations about marketing and how you get your movie out there and what the new model is for filmmaking. And for the last 40 years, 50 years, whatever, it's the model has been advertise, market, sell people on what the movie is and even what it isn't get their mm -hmm. asses in the seats and yeah. as there are no asses in seats people are sitting at home yeah. there's this weird new model happening and it's it's sort of at first the idea was sort of these net straight to netflix movies or straight to hulu movies or whatever are sort of the straight to rental house missed the theater mentality or like right to the red box whatever the you know right. straight to video model is for the time we're seeing the opposite happen where these straight to your home the the, the studios are realizing word of mouth we're all connected in a way we've never been connected before so yeah. marketing is completely changing and the way a movie can be sold can be completely different than it's ever been and you're connecting to your audience in a way that 
almost like the sitcom did in the 80s and 90s, like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. The sitcom was like a way to get into people's homes. It was a way to connect directly to the people. And they're realizing films can be that now as well. And and the sitcom doesn't exist like it did before. It's a completely different type of thing. And to me, uh, Mitchell's versus the machine was, I think, an experiment in like, can we can we really hit every like the family audience without marketing it in that way of some faux like I don't even know what the marketing for this movie would have been because it is such a different movie and it it would have been sold as I think some of the punchlines of the jokes would have instantly been spoiled and we wouldn't have had that connection that we had. Sure. I feel like we all felt like we were finding something. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That that's actually a really good point because I mean, I certainly didn't see trailers, I didn't see marketing, I didn't I didn't Nothing. have each of those punchlines like just, you know, driven into the ground before I get a chance to see the movie. Um and, and I hope that this movie is connecting. I I obviously on Twitter, on film Twitter, you've got all of these like, you know, hardcore movie nerds who know every single movie that comes out and they all love it. But I hope that general audiences that would have been going to see the new Sony Animation Studios movie or the new Pixar or new whatever it is, Disney, uh, are also seeing this because it's just so hard to tell now. It's like it is it comes really hard out to, to tell. Netflix and you don't no idea. And the audience for this is such an interesting one because it is families and obviously kids. Like it's a kids movie. Sure. It's a cartoon, which instantly is like we would have they would have marketed to kids and half of the parents would have get been like, Oh, I guess I gotta take my kids to another cartoon. Like and mm-hmm. instead we ha- what happened was I think a lot of parents put it on in the background with their kids or, you know, we're like, all right, it's Friday. We got nothing else to do. Let's put on this movie. And I can't tell you how many parents messaged me and were like, you have to watch this movie. Like my kids put it on and I think it's the best movie I've seen this year so far. Like it's fantastic and you would love it. And to me, that's, that's a statement that when people go to me and, and when, when a movie like gets people to DM me or message me and they're like, Josh, you'd love this movie. I, generally that means it's connecting with an audience on a like a higher not this sounds condescending like i mean like i like only good movies but it generally means that people are going like oh this is something that isn't just fluff it isn't just you know this is a movie that i connected with and i want to know if josh connected with it too and um i'm seeing that a lot but i'm also seeing you know we're seeing the numbers on it on netflix numbers they're saying like people are watching it which to me is great like seeing that hit number one that first weekend and then popping it on yesterday and seeing it's at number one again this weekend mm-hmm. it's that's awesome um because it is a movie that well throwback to a lot of the stuff i loved which i'll talk about it, mm-hmm. it it's hitting with the kids my my son had he's got his little pod um of friends that he can you know be around and he's in school with and whatever and so we invited his pod of three over yesterday and the first thing they did was threw on the movie and started watching it which made me go okay this is this is hitting the audience that it should be hitting nice nice i i hope to get to see it in the theater do you think that's gonna happen one of the things i really hope happens is as we go back as theaters do start opening up i hope the theaters go you know what we don't have to just show the five movies that are out at this time we can go back to last year and hell we can go back to five years ago ten years ago like i would yeah uh this is totally off topic but i saw the lighthouse in the theater before the pandemic and Mm -hmm. absolutely hated it hated the lighthouse the first time i saw it i was like what a pretentious crappy movie and then i (laughs) laid in bed and i could not stop thinking about it and then uh i um it came out on amazon and i'm like i've got to i've got to watch it again I've literally watched it 50 times since it came out. I'm obsessed. The Lighthouse is my favorite movie ever, and I would love to see it in a theater again and appreciate it the way I appreciate it now because right, right. It, it's a it's a, one of those movies that is like that, but hopefully that's something that could happen. Like you, you could see movies hitting the theater, and I could take my kids to see Mitchell's versus the Machines with a group of friends, you know, later this year instead yeah. of you know, just the movies that are in. I'm, I'm fingers crossed that that's actually a thing that happens. I hope so too. I'm, I'm right there with you, but, um, let's start getting into some puzzle pieces here. What do you have for your first puzzle piece for this one? Instantly, man. As I was watching this movie, I 
I was sitting there just going like, these are fans of The Simpsons. I know it's yes. not a movie, but as a you know, as a fan of, I mean, the the dude who directed it, Michael Rianda, is us pretty close to my same age. Obviously, a kid who grew up in the '90s, and all of us nine, and an animator. He comes from an animation background, has directed and uh, and wrote for multiple animated things, and. I instantly was just like, this guy loves The Simpsons. All of sure. the little background references to things, um, the the way the characters play off of each other, and that ability to consistently, um, what's the word, like, not go with expectation. Like, what the sure. audience is expecting to happen next, he's like, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going heartfelt. Uh, nope, we're going to totally change it and destroy that heartfelt thing. Exactly like the Simpsons would do. Build towards a joke and then uh, divert from that and just do something completely different. Or when the jokes are hitting hard, you know what? We're going to throw a little heart in there and, and surprise you in, in this beat. That, to me, the Simpsons was uh, like a through line of the whole movie. And then I even saw online, someone posted a storyboard of that, that like ugly dinosaur face uh, when uh -huh. when they come to the, like the dinosaur theme park, and the artist who who did the concept art for that was like, my idea was that they had a Homer Simpson like nice. statue, and they had and the the face of the dinosaur broke off, so they put that Homer Simpson face on the face <laughs> of the statue to replace it. I'm like, it's just Simpsons fans, man. I could totally see the Simpsons love in this. That's wonderful. And yeah, that, that, that dinosaur exhibit is great. It's so funny. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I also was thinking about the Simpsons as well. I mean, it's kind of like the perfect example of like, you know, the, the perfect nuclear family and like, you know, the, the dad who's kind of a big dope, the mom who's trying to keep the family together, the, the two kids who are at, at sometimes best friends at sometimes at each other's yes. throats. And, you know, it, it's just, yeah, it, it's definitely, it's the perfect Cart especially in the world of cartoons, but uh, just really in general, the perfect like family, like the family that that loves each other, but also is like driving each other nuts the whole time. Uh, the Simpsons is the perfect example of that, and this is definitely in that line and that tradition. And I, I think Danny McBride is just great as the dad here. Um, it definitely in that Homer tradition for sure. They really all are in their particular archetypes of the family here yeah my wife and i had this conversation right right after or right as we were watching the movie we, my wife was like oh man i was really hoping that was maya rudolph and because and like <laughs> as we were watching it she's like it doesn't sound like maya rudolph because maya rudolph is just doing she isn't doing like a voice she's just mm -hmm. being a human character and that was one of the things i noticed about these characters is uh the director michael rianda does the voice of um Aaron is it Aaron Aaron yeah Aaron. the son yeah one and his voice is so simple like it's it's goofy but it's goofy in its simplicity he sounds like a kid with a with a weird almost pubescent voice but right kind of it's it's just interesting and uh Maya Rudolph does just a mom voice it's not she's not trying to be overly silly she's not going too big Danny McBride even could have gone way big with that dad voice and, and he doesn't he keeps it kind of close to home which to me it helped big time with making this family feel very grounded in the silly things they're going to go on which the right. simpsons did the opposite they went so big with the voices in order to make them cartoonish and then the surprise was how grounded and human these characters were i think that was a really smart move not going overly crazy with the voices but keeping them kind of grounded in reality and I don't know if I've seen a family in a movie that felt this honest in a long, long time. Like, it right. it really felt like a real family. And you hit the nail on the head when you talked about Bart and Lisa um, versus Katie and Aaron, where they those, those relationships are, it's a love, mostly love relationship, but there's right. those hints of hate. And right. I really like that. I really like that's that's my boys. They uh they are the same way. My kids have this very they're best friends until they're not best friends, but they're still <laughs> best friends. You know, and right. I, I really enjoyed seeing that in a movie. Yeah, no, it's great. Um I, I'm gonna jump right into my next piece because it kind of goes like right along with what we're talking about with the family here. Uh and that's Little Miss Sunshine, which is definitely a love or hate it kind of a movie, but 
I mean, really taking the our crazy family and throwing them on a road trip together and all the things that is, you know, going to get thrown at them and, and all the crazy adventures they're going to get into along the way and the cracks within the family that are going to be exposed because of all that stuff getting thrown at them, I think goes right along with the kind of things that, that the Simpsons you know, w- would put their their family through in the, the, the various, like, antics and stuff that they get up to. And, uh, and the same with this. And again, here we're going way bigger with, with this giant robot invasion, which we haven't even gotten into yet, but we will in some of the future puzzle pieces, I'm sure. But uh, it's taking this family and showing what makes them strong in the process of showing them breaking apart in <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, that's a great example. And I think one of the things is, as you know, I watched both of these movies, there are these moments of, I mean, this, even as an animated movie, there's moments where you're like, this is, this would never happen. This is too far. And with Little Miss Sunshine, there's moments where you're like, oh my God, the grandpa's body, like, come on, this is too much. Like, you're right. going too far. <laughs> and I like that. I'm watching a movie to watch a movie not to get reality so sure. both of those movies take it to an extreme even in, like uh, there's that joke that one of my favorite scenes is sort of the montage of the, the the trip where they're like stopping at the restaurant then they're puking over the side of the road then they're like on in this valley like di- almost dying and then it just cuts and th- none of that really mattered they just lived through it right and i thought that yeah. was like a wonderful too far moment where you're like okay this is ridiculous and sets up how ridiculous the rest of the movie is going to be similar to little miss sunshine where there are these these moments of like the horn won't stop honking the car breaks down and they have to push it and hop in the the, the van as they're moving you're like oh, come on wouldn't they right. give up like there's no way they wouldn't give up if they if this was really happening i like that i like movies that just continuously progress in their terribleness or like their unbelievability to right, remind right. you you're watching a movie so that when you get to like f- evil furbies you're just <laughs> like i'm i'm in for this i'm down yeah. this is the adventure we're on yeah how are they going to beat this one i and how would we beat this one if we if we were in those i, shoes? I think and, and little miss sunshine does that because I, I just rewatched that within uh, during the pandemic i've i've rewatched it and Every time it gets to the scene with the grandpa dying, I'm always like, "This why? Why? Just give up. This is yeah. where you end. Like, this is where the movie should end and totally take a change. And they just go like, nope, we're going to roll with it. We're going for it. And yep. then instantly you're just down for whatever happens next. So what do you got for your next piece? Uh, you know what? Talking about the Furbies, I'm going to go for one that isn't on my list, but I got I to gotta throw it in there because I just loved it so much. And for me as a you know horror filmmaker, comedy horror filmmaker, this hit home. But the Dawn of the Dead of it all, that whole sequence is just a straight up, we, we get to the mall, which I'm from Minnesota, like I said, which is where the Mall of America is. Right. And yeah. instantly I'm like, this is Mall of America. Like, you guys are in my... They say it's Colorado or something like that, but it's definitely being referential to the the Midwest of it all and the Mall of America and seeing them at this mall with the, the evil Furbies and watching them walk up. I was like, kids, someday I'm going to show you Dawn of the Dead and you're going to understand why this scene rules. And it, yeah. it did. It was <laughs> such a fantastic moment that, you know... It's another thing they did really well in this movie was kind of calling out their references and being like, this is a Dawn of the Dead reference, guys. Like, just so you know, even if you don't know, this is what it is. And they were very... The Simpsons did the same thing, where they would be like, you know, reference the birds, and it was just so... If you don't get that it's a reference to the birds, you when you see it, you will. Like, you won't forget that this is a reference to the birds. And I loved that about this, that it... It had that Dawn of the Dead moment, and it had a lot of sort of horror movie beats that hit me in a way that it, it you know, my, my kids enjoyed it for what it was, but they would never quite get the reference. Mm-hmm. But when they do, they're going to be like, that was, that was awesome. Like, they did it right. Yeah, absolutely. And the scenario they get themselves into is, you know, quite horrific i would imagine for kids but at the same time for adults like we're so damn ingrained with our our you know phones and social media and everything i think we all kind of know that uh tech going bad is something 
like just under the surface of what could really happen <laughs> with everything right now. And so I, I think that, uh, you know, the horror movie elements of this definitely do exist. And yeah, with the mall aspect, Dawn of the Dead is, is a great piece to, uh, to, to look at. I'm going to combine with that, though, with another horror movie here from my list of pieces. And that is the 2019 Child's Play reboot. Yeah, um, which is not great. It, it it was fun. It had its moments, but definitely the idea that these tech companies are going to grow beyond their control and put out some kind of product that is going to, you know, become sentient and destroy everything is is definitely central to the plot of that Child's Play reboot. A way to bring Chucky into the 21st century and is uh you know, combined with the Furbies, combined with these these robot AI, uh, what is it, Pal Max, I believe, is the name of the new product that they're putting out in this movie. It definitely comes from the same place, that fear of technology. Yeah, I, I'll say the same thing about that Child's Play movie is, you know, love it or hate it, it has these moments that were really interesting and fun. I I, mm-hmm. I would argue that there are moments in that movie that are... that. He, some of the the amazing gore used with the the robot sequences and it you're right like that scene there's a scene i think in the child's play movie where they essentially are at like a, a mall or a store and there's like drones flying around and stuff like that it has a very like this like the scene with all of the refrigerators and microwaves and stuff attacking yeah. not funny but hits that same thing of like we have technology literally everywhere around like my my studio is just covered in technology. Yeah. There's no reason why that, in theory, couldn't happen. And yeah. while this takes it to an extreme and it's comical, there is a part where you're like, man, I'm, I literally was just on my phone like while we paused the movie for the kid to go to the bathroom. Like, this is pretty spot on. Like, and it's funny because I, my wife was actually like texting on her phone, someone messaged her or whatever, while the movie was going. And then there was a line in... Mitchell's versus the machine where they're like, could you just set your phone down for a minute? And my wife just like <laughs> awkwardly looked up at me like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> we need that line in more movies just to remind people because, uh, yeah, it's important. There was a movie. There was a movie that came out recently. It's called Save Yourself. And it's a really wonderful little indie movie. But in throughout the movie, they're constantly talking to Alexa and, and Siri and other things. And I feel like the filmmakers did that as a joke to make them go off in your house while yeah. you're watching the movie. And it, it did. In my house, we have a, a, a Alexa house and it would they would say like, hey, Alexa. And then suddenly like, hello, what do you need or whatever That's she great. says when it goes on? I'm like, oh, you guys got us. <laughs> that is great. All right, what do you got for your next piece? Well, let's build off of that technology thing because I instantly went to the reference of 2001. I thought, mm. you know, the, the that's the first movie I saw where I, I saw it and went, oh, this is, a, you know, it's a movie about a lot of things, but the thing that really stands is the, the HAL and, and the, the technology not understanding humans or not understanding, like, the complexity of life and just, you know, trying to dispose of it or going awry, going bad. So I, you know, when I watched it, I, there's obvious references to 2001, like very on the surface. This is a 2001 joke, everyone, but also sure. just the general theme, um, similar to, to Chucky, that technology going awry. And there were moments where I really, 2001 did it so well because it really felt emotionless while emotional. I, which mm-hmm. is, it's contradictory, but it may, I, to me, it kind of has that same thing where this, there was a reason for the the ai doing what it did and it had a plot but also didn't understand the complexity of like humans they never could quite get it and that's what 2001 had for me as well and i thought that was an interesting thing to to kind of explain to kids because it's a kid's movie in the end but that's a really deep concept to try to get get into the complexity of human nature and i enjoyed that they did that that they did try to and there's a scene that was deleted from this movie um well, it's never filmed, or they never animated it, but you, if you go on Twitter, you can find this scene that's uh, the mom explaining 
um motherhood to the robots the the two that follow her right and right. it is it's a really sweet and extremely funny scene that it's really disappointing it was cut because it is like i know my kids would have been in tears laughing but my wife would have been in tears crying because right, it hits right. these two beats of like motherhood and how important motherhood is and how complex that is to the robots how they don't quite get it and they right. in the scene it eats crayons and it's really funny so i I, I highly recommend hunting down this deleted storyboard sequence because it's it's awesome um, yeah i gotta check that out because yeah that that mother what is death scene is like probably my biggest laugh in the movie like uh let's put a pin in that one <laughs> yeah my guess is they cut this scene before that scene because they are similar vibes like they are that like over explaining something that is way too complex for a simple-minded robot to understand yeah. and but it's really sweet and really it's a really nice moment where the, the, literally the robot is like why does the why does a mother duck not just eat its babies yeah <laughs> and right it's, it's so <laughs> oh it's great that's awesome. Yeah, and I, I love, by the way, uh, just talking about the AI, uh, Olivia Coleman as the voice of Pal. I mean, that's that's some inspired casting right there. That's awesome. It is. There's a lot of that casting is so great. Eric Andre as Mark Bowman, uh, mm -hmm. to me, was like, I'm a huge Eric Andre fan. And to have someone who's so anti-establishment, someone who's so like, his comedy is so out there and so breaking the system of comedy to mm. be the guy who's like the the Zuckerberg of it all, uh -huh. the person who's causing all of this. It was such amazing casting. And I, I really enjoyed the fact that people didn't do crazy over-the-top voices. Like Eric Andre didn't go too big. I mean, Olivia Coleman was great, but kept it very robotic yet emotional. Mm -hmm. Um and then there's like things like didn't Conan O'Brien do the voice of? He was one of the robots, I think, or yeah, he's like one of the bad robots, like the big yeah. bad robots. And I, after I watched the movie, I saw he was like that voice. So I went back and looked, and I was just like, wow, that is Conan O'Brien. That's such a strange choice to cast him, but feels so on point. Yeah, and also a perfect Simpsons. Like, you know, Conan was a writer on The Simpsons in the early days. Some of the greatest episodes were Conan O'Brien episodes. So what a what a, a coup that must have been or a boom that must have been for um for for Michael Rianda to get him as a voice in the movie. Like that would oh, yeah. be like a dream come true. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm going to go to another piece here and uh it's going to be another one about the tech angle of this, but instead of um focusing on the uh the negative and tech taking over and destroying the world and all that, but on the positive because I think that one of the great things about this movie is that it's trying to uh, portray, you know, that balance of the fact that tech can be such an important and good aspect of our lives at the same time as we can't let it get out of control. And I thought of the scenes in the 2018 movie Searching, where they show the history of this family and all of the memories that this family has built through the use of video files. Uh, that that movie, of course, is one of these, uh, what do they call it, screen life films, this new genre of everything unfolding on a computer screen. And in the process, they're opening video files and they're seeing their memories being captured so beautifully and old emails and all those things that that are big, huge, positive moments of, of our lives and things that it's always able to be there and accessed by us. And so it's this big, wonderful aspect of technology is being shown in searching while at the same time, this whole, you know, thriller aspect and all of the, the negative and the scary parts as well, but it's showing that balance. I think Mitchell's versus machine does an amazing job of showing like, you know, you're able to capture all these moments with with video camera, with with uh, with computers, with everything that goes into it. And we got to remember that even with the bad aspects, there's all these positive aspects as well. That is such a good point. One of that that's one of the things we talked about, uh, my kids and I, after the movie ended, that I thought was like interesting that it it brought on such a kind of complex topic for us is while the movie is about you know, this negative thing that happens with technology, it really is about the positives of technology. There's a yeah. lot of positives. And it, I think an e easy move would have been to go full on, like, 
technology is bad. Computers are bad. Like get off your phone. Get get off your phone all the time. But the dad doesn't even say get off your phone all the time. He says let's have five minutes or right. five seconds. I think he says something ridiculously short that they can barely even do. But like, yeah, my my kids are. They live in a world where. You know, they're right now, literally, my son is upstairs on his phone talking to his friends. And if he wasn't able to do that, this pandemic would have been probably unbearable. Like, truly, right. we would have madness happening. We would, it would be a completely different thing. And to go from, you know, the connected world we live in to suddenly not being able to be connected to anyone would have been heartbreaking and would have destroyed lives. Being able to living in a time where we are connected and we are able to communicate in the way we are has been, you know, it's been pivotal to us moving forward and helping us move move on, get vaccinated, all this stuff. And I think they did a great job jumping from the end of that movie could have been very easily. We live in a world now without technology and we have gone back to a happier time when people lived simpler. They right. didn't do that. That would have been an easy, crappy way out. Instead, they cut to her, you know, video conferencing with her family again, that she's coming home. And it 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 showed such positive things that technology has brought us. Um, yeah. I thought that was, that was such a wonderful thing. And that's a great point that uh, my kids, it, that's the sort of thing that hit my kids like a ton of bricks was, oh, yeah, it is. It is OK. We have technology because it would have it, it, the movie sets itself up not to be that. But showed yeah. the positives yeah because it, it is it is a thing i think that's on everybody's mind but you know people are in such extremes nowadays you know especially like with politics and stuff like that like everybody is just so extreme to one side or another and it's important to remember that there's you know th there's a way to balance things that i think okay so i'm gonna lead into my next one with sure. that balance because going technology the balance of technology the balance of family dynamic too was a huge thing that they hit on this like idea of being with your family trying to disconnect from your family where does where does your life begin and being with your family's life stay like right. how does that happen and this is an important thing to kids and to all of us i think and it instantly reminded me and maybe that's because they set it up in my head very early on but it reminded me of ladybird um mm -hmm. this element of mother and daughter and the bond they have but also the disconnect and this fight between the two of them and the struggle that is you know we're more connected with our family than anyone else as kids and we're trying to learn from them but we're also trying to find our own path which sure. is very much what ladybird was about and they had like greta gerwig references in the movie like throughout the first chunk of the movie like obviously greta gerwig was important um to to the lead character of to uh katie in this movie and so i it kept connecting with that like how she connects with her family is very similar to ladybird and how that movie played out and it i think that it would be easy to make the movie very much about the disconnect we see this movie about you know we see we've seen a million times how the kids oh dad you're the worst like <laughs> we I'm sure one of us in the next moment will bring up the family vacation of it all. But there's right, right. there's this element of, you know, kids and parents not connecting. Parents just don't understand. This movie did that, but also found a way to make it honestly about how it's okay that parents don't understand. And that, yeah. you know, you're, you're having to learn together as parents and kids and the world is constantly changing. How do you still connect with each other even though dad isn't very cool? And right. I mean, that's my kids live. My kids are in that, you know, they're at that point where my 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 son, one, my oldest son is eight years old. And he's very much at this point, like dad does some things that are cool. Dad does other things that I do not get. And so I think that this movie was very helpful in explaining some of those things to to him. And I think it will be for a lot of other kids um, in a similar way that Beetlejuice was for me. Beetlejuice growing up was this like I very much connected with Lydia and understood like her trying to connect to the world that she's growing up in with these odd parents and right. she's just disconnected from them she doesn't get who they are why they're doing what they do but in the end of beetlejuice she kind of connects to them and these new parents these new people right. that she's connected with 
And this movie did that same sort of thing very well. Yeah, no, uh, the, the Ladybird connection for sure. And and I love that we're getting Beetlejuice in there as well. But yeah, I mean, definitely every, every kid when they're getting to that age and, you know, she's going off to college in this movie and every kid is trying to forge their own their own path. But at the same time, you know, th- this is my family and I'm still trying to stay connected even though you know dad is is ridiculous and you know mom i i have these troubles with but it's definitely a uh, important moment for for most kids to to try to balance that and so i think that's definitely a great piece there how funny was that scene when mom shows up to like protect her kids and kick ass and it just goes like full kill bill yes i was that to me is like comedy at its purist like i love that sort of build towards something like that you see these slow hints of mom being like she's okay she can kind of do kick-ass things like she's she's protective of her kids we see like these little things leading up to it and then they're just like all right she's going full on i was laughing so hard that is 100 percent my sense of humor yeah, it was great. And also, you know, speaking of Kill Bill, there were two Kill Bill musical cues in there. So, yeah, I definitely Kill Bill influence for sure. You know what? And the thing that it did really well with references like the Kill Bill thing is if you get it, hilarious. If you yeah. don't get it, it still sells the emotion. It's still right. taking the exact same reason why that cue was in Kill Bill and using it properly. Just yeah. like when they it used the uh, the Batman 66 or whatever uh, mm-hmm. reference. The yeah that moment all of us in my house were dying laughing my kids have no idea what that was a reference to but just the randomness the silliness it's the same reason they did it back with bat with the adam west batmans back in the day was because it is like this funny transitional moment that is just like what like so out there and and interesting so they just threw it in there people who get it as a reference it's hilarious kids who don't get it it's still hilarious to them. They're just like sure. the goofy face. Awesome. Yeah. Another one like that. Uh, not not a full-fledged puzzle piece, but like just one of those kinds of little mini references. Uh, I thought the tech billionaire dancing with his robots, I thought of Ex Machina with oh, uh, yes. Oscar Isaac. So, I mean, that's the total like for the film Twitter people, you know? <laughs> and they, that's, there's so many of those. They're, they're through the whole movie, even down to just like uh, her socks were the Overlook Hotel right, pattern right. on the floor. And, you know, things like that for me, I don't need them, but I love them. Like I, it, just being able to reference it really quickly and let me go, I don't have to point it out to my kids. I don't have to like, it, I don't have to be, uh, it's not something I have to like pontificate about, but I can just enjoy the fact that the artistry behind that is awesome just yeah. awesome absolutely well i'll go to my last puzzle piece which i'm actually going to combine two movies for this one and I, maybe you'll have some others to add to this particular conversation but it, it definitely uh, applies to the whole diy filmmaking aspect of the katie character and her little films that she's making with her dog uh voiced by doug the pug by the way but i i thought of the 2017 movie brigsby bear and oh, the 2008 yes. movie Be Kind Rewind. Two movies that just deal with that that total do-it-yourself aesthetic and just wacky people getting together and making wacky films. And uh, she is making some really fun films that are clearly all inspired by, you know, classics and, and different genre tropes and things that we all know and love. And that is a big thing within Brigsby Bear, within Be Kind Rewind, within other movies about filmmaking, where it, where it's these kind of oddballs that get together and make movies because they love doing it, and it's just such a fun, infectious thing to watch. Oh man, I'm so glad you brought up Be Kind Rewind. I absolutely adore that movie, and so it's one that I haven't thought about in a hot second, and I'm just realizing like my kids are huge Jack Black fans, mm-hmm. like, huge fans. And so I'm, I think that might be our Saturday night watch tonight. I think Be Kind Rewind, it's not too vulgar, right? I mean, my kids can handle that movie. I think so. I think think we're going to do that one up. And I loved that about this movie is they did that sort of sweeting of movies. That's what it's called in the movie, right? right? Sweeting, yep. So genius. (laughs) Um, But she kind of like swedes these concepts. But then they didn't just use it as 
a punchline. I liked the fact that they worked it into the story and showed how she's learning. I loved the fact that she got into college off of these videos because that's so true. It would yeah. be so easy for them to be like, these are bad movies. No one right, likes these. Right. It's not true. Like, that's right. the kind of stuff that gets you into college. That's the kind of stuff that gets you views on YouTube and other kids would love. And they also did a great job of not making them unbe unbelievably complex. In mm -hmm. uh, Be Kind Rewind, when you watch the movies they're making, you're like, oh, this is, you could make this. They are competent enough to be able to put together these boxes in this way to make them spin like 2001. In right. this, when I see like the little bit of green screen line around her green screen, like she's <laughs> she's still figuring out After Effects, but then as the movie, as, as you see her videos progress, that green screen line disappears and you're like wow she learned how to key properly like how cool right. is that like for me as a movie nerd as a dyi filmmaker i was like on her filmmaking journey with her which was yeah. just like you don't see that kind of love all that often because you know a lot of times the, the filmmakers just don't have time to put that together this one they really thought that stuff through and that meant a lot to me as a filmmaker that i could see her filmmaking process and her silly videos she put a lot of heart into them, even though she knows they're silly. She knows what she's making is stupid most of the time. But then when right. she does something emotional and her dad sees it and you see this moment, you're like, oh, wow, Like she does care. That's huge and awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I compose music for films as like my main thing. But uh, in college, when I was first like, I wasn't ready to actually you know, make that kind of music yet, I was making funny rap songs, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's like my growing period, my learning how to use my, my, the software and my keyboards and all that kind of stuff. And so it's like, yeah, it's like you, you, you go through that, that phase of like putting together these things that are, yeah, they're not, they're not serious they're silly, they're goofy, but they're your way of learning your craft along the way. And you leave this movie kind of wanting to see what she's going to eventually put together what she's going to end up making oh yeah you watch it at the end you're just like well she's going to be a filmmaker like yeah. she just is any filmmaker out there is watching that going like she's got it she knows what she's learning she knows her process and she knows how to slowly learn how to connect with people in her own way and that's like the key to uh filmmaking which i'm i've got one more that i want to okay. get to and this is sort of a bonus i guess I asked my son, uh, my eight-year-old, what movies he thought this was referenced to, or he put your puzzle pieces together to make nice. this come together. And his two that he came up with were uh, The Goofy Movie and iRobot, which I was like, wow, those are spot on. Like, sure. Goofy Movie, which is very referential to Family Vacation, which I, I swear we were both going to bring. Like, I was like, I know, no it way should have we been in the list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the Goofy movie, which is essentially like a cartoon version of Family Vacation in many ways, and he he was uh, referencing the fact that he liked the fact that it was about a son and dad, you know, disconnecting but trying to find ways to connect, and these sort of weird, uh, unknowing lies they're telling to each other, but they're, you know, they're trying to get over lying to each other, where he mm -hmm. felt that was very similar, that there is this element of we don't know how to talk to each other. We're saying things that we're not saying and, and disconnecting in that way. And then sure. I, I robot where I was like, Oh yeah, no duh. Like it is very, I like the, the good robots, the bad robots, the flying around. Uh, he admitted though, that he thought this one did it better. He said he thought that the connection of the robots, he, he didn't understand in I robot. He felt like it was a little bit, he didn't say this word, but like ham fisted, like being very <laughs> full on, like, this is a good robot, this is a bad robot, this is, he liked the fact that this one sort of teetered the line of robots trying to figure it out. Also, th when the dad calls them robots, my house just erupted into laughter. The, the use of robots was perfect. <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah, those are some great pieces to go out on. And yeah, of course, I robot. And uh, so let, let's go ahead and do the finished puzzle and we'll get into any closing thoughts we have. Uh, the movies we talked about here for the Mitchells versus the Machine, we talked about The Simpsons, Little Miss Sunshine, Dawn of the Dead, Child's Play, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Searching, Lady Bird, Brigsby Bear, Be Kind Rewind, The Goofy Movie, iRobot, and of course, let's just throw Family Vacation in there as well. 
Uh, and also a bunch of references along the way as well, little little mini references. But are there any uh, major points about this movie that we didn't quite get to while going through the puzzle pieces that you wanted to bring up? No, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I was hoping we would talk about is the actual marketing, advertising, and the mm -hmm. odd change we're seeing in the film industry right now, just in general, with movie studios, you know, Disney becoming just this monster of a company that's totally different than it was when I was a kid watching cartoons. Sure. And the way cartoons have changed, where they they literally, Netflix was like, you know what, we're going to buy this movie. Uh, it's from the same team that has made just some of the greatest cartoons in the last 10 years with, yeah. you know, uh, Into the Spider-Verse, oh, yeah. Lego Movie, like these wonderful movies. And they didn't, overhype it they knew that they had something wholly original and it's essentially like this modern instant cult classic that has gone beyond cult classic like this right. movie could have gotten buried under a, a godzilla versus kong this week it, something else could have come out and everyone could have been talking about it or last week or whatever and everyone could have been talking about it and this movie could have just been a kid's movie that kids like and parents didn't connect with and they released it properly and and didn't oversell it to me as a film fan I, I i i'm curious what would have happened if they would have given us all of the jokes told us exactly what the movie was and been like hey filmmaker dads and moms go watch this movie because it's about a filmmaker i may have been like oh god okay you guys you really tried to sell us filmmakers right, on this right. this movie they didn't do that instead i was pleasantly surprised and there's something about about being surprised that is is lacking in film these days and it was really enjoyable i, I say lacking but st i still get hit with them every once in a while like there was a horror sure. movie called host that came out recently that mm -hmm. i it was it's like a con, all over zoom it's a movie that takes place uh, entirely on zoom i did, had no idea what i was getting into and my friend was just like dude watch this movie i've never been so scared in my life i do not yeah. get scared by movies but i watched host on the edge of my seat and it wasn't a movie that was oversold or overhyped for me and there's something about that that this movie did really well and i'm glad we got to talk about that a little bit yeah for sure i i will say i'm a little less positive than you on the release strategy here i i i agree about um you know not overselling the the premise and and totally like uh you know beating things into the ground in the advertising phase of releasing a movie i i definitely think that there's overhaul that needs to be made i just really hope that people are actually seeing this with netflix right. there's really no oversight as to whether those numbers mean anything necessarily and and i'm not seeing my just regular friends on facebook posting about this movie i'm not seeing like regular families posting about this and i hope they're all seeing it and i hope they maybe maybe they haven't seen it yet and they do see it because it starts to get a word of mouth growing or something like that so far it seems to be more so the film Twitter people, the film podcasters, the the critics, the people like that. And they're all loving it, just like the two of us loved it. I just I just hope that they didn't do it a disservice with the whole Netflix only, with the um, kind of dropping it out of nowhere. I mean, there was absolutely nothing leading up to it. And I just wonder, if, like, the balance of the movie, if there needs to be a little bit of a balance between the old ways of releasing a movie and this new way. But... Either way, it's think, it's happening no matter what, though. And here's here uh, one of the questions I have, which there's I don't have an answer to, obviously. But the they released it right now, which is an odd time, just coming out of the Oscars and whatnot. I'm mm -hmm. almost wondering if they went like, let's drop this movie now, get it out there, not do a bunch of advertising, a bunch of marketing, and then, you know late august when theaters are opening back up you know maybe september we drop the movie in the theater again and we get that buzz going and then hit the oscars hard try to try to get that best best animated feature oscar there's i mean we've seen that before in years before where they've released something early on and then kind of relaunched sure. it later and tried to get the oscar buzz going late in the game that that might be something that they're doing with this is going like okay we have a really good movie on our hands that's beyond just you know summer kids movie fluff yeah we get it out there we get word of mouth going and then later in the year when things open back up we get it back out there there i'm you know you know there were talks about like what if we put this movie out 
you know, as a summer movie and we try to get a few asses in theater seats and then a few more later on with the release on whatever streaming service or whatever around Oscar time. I think they did the opposite game with this. Maybe. Right, I, mean, I don't right. know. But time will tell. I hope so, because I really want to see it in the theater. <laughs> I know. Me too. Me too. But yeah, I mean, they, they had so much to to go off of with the Into the Spider-Verse, which I think is one of the most celebrated movies of the last few years. And so uh, if they just put that all over the you know advertising, I think this would have done well in theaters. So, I think it you still know, could, though. And that's where... Yeah. And But here's the thing. This Spider-Verse is a Spider-Man movie. That's an easy mm. sell. Like, everyone's going to go see a new Spider-Man movie. This is a wholly original characters that don't have right. that comfort so now they're getting that comfort like they're getting a slow build comfort and that could be a huge game changer for them in the future and i mean in the end that's the thing i love the most about it was god was it nice to see original characters Definitely. That is such a huge, huge thing. And uh, I think that that's a good thing to wrap it up on. Uh, Josh, is there another movie you watched recently that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Oh, oh there are a lot. I haven't, you know, I've been in a real, this is a way off topic from, from <laughs> not, definitely not uh, Mitchell's, but I've been in a real documentary phase recently. I've been watching okay. a ton of documentaries and, um, HBO has a lot of really great ones, but the one I'm watching right now that I'm going to recommend to anyone who needs something absolutely different than Mitchell's versus the Machines. Well, maybe. I guess there's some some things I could say that you can compare, but there's a documentary series called Generation Hustle on mm -hmm. uh, HBO right now that is absolutely wonderful if you feel like you are in this generation of people playing this you know, we're playing the social media game. We're hustling our asses off. Everyone's just trying to get heard and seen and trying to make a living doing what we do. There's something to be said about this movie that, that or this show, it's a series. It's like, I think it's like 10 episodes or something like that. Uh -huh. That just hits home for people like me who are hustling our asses off, trying, oh, to, yeah. get, trying to get seen or, or trying to just, we just hope people like our stuff sort of. The opposite of that these people who are just like i'm gonna scam the system i i yeah. love it it's really fantastic so generation hustle is worth a watch um and then i, I mentioned host which is this found sure. footage horror movie that uh, I, I struggle to call it found footage it's a very it's very interesting but um i recommend host i believe it's on shutter is it on Shudder? i think you're I right i think uh, so 100% worth a watch. If you like horror movies and you can handle being a little scared, I don't get scared by movies, but man, Host had me on the edge of my seat, and I watched it on a Sunday afternoon with the windows open, lights on, and I was still like, don't go, why are you doing this? Oh, God, it's so good. So good. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, that's pretty much exactly what I've heard about it. So, uh, yeah, and to, to that other recommendation, um, after we finish this, I'm going to go edit my four other podcasts and get back to work on this feature film I'm scoring. So uh, I, I, get the, I get the hustle for sure. The hustle is real, and there's something about the people who are... This show, it gives, it gives you a respect for those who are honestly hustling, who are kicking yeah. ass, doing what we can, and understand that... We're living in a different time than we've ever lived in. But the people who are going like, how do I make a quick buck and mm. use people? That's basically what the, that show is about. And mm. kind of gives you a respect for the hard work we're all putting into getting stuff done and doing these podcasts, getting up in the morning and talking just to just to sort of, you know, connect with each other and connect with people in a positive way. Yeah. I really enjoyed doing this episode because it was so very positive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. For sure, man. Uh, well, awesome. Why don't you tell people where they can find you and your work and everything you're up to? Yeah, you could check out joshstifter.com has basically links to everything I'm doing. Um, I, I love social media. I'm one of those opposite of most people who are like, oh, social media is the downfall of society. I'm like, man, I've connected with so many. I wouldn't be on this podcast without social media. Right? We there wouldn't have go. had this conversation without Twitter. So I love it. Uh, at Josh Stifter on Twitter, at Flush Studios on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebooks and all the other things. And then I do a, I started doing a YouTube diary. January 1st, I woke up and was like, you know what? I have this YouTube channel. I don't really do anything with it. I'm going to start doing a diary on it. When I was on Rebel Without a Crew, every morning I had to wake up and do these diaries, you know, for the reality series where I would be like, 
today I got to go film another thing, whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I actually kind of enjoyed doing that. It got my ass up in the morning and got me moving. I'm going to try that. And I've been doing it. I've done one every day since January 1st. And we're, awesome. you know, in May. And they've been really great. And they've sort of helped me grow as a filmmaker, honestly. Like they're teaching me what I love about filmmaking. And, and they, they've got these conversations going and had me, and they allow me to connect to myself in a way and also connect to this outside audience. Um, they don't get a ton of views and I don't care. That's the wonderful thing about them is I get to just put them up there and, and put my ideas out there. So if that's interesting to you, youtube.com slash flush studios, you can kind of follow my journey in filmmaking, whether I'll continue to do them every day or not. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a lot to continue to wake up every day and go like, I'm going to make a video, but I, um, I'm enjoying doing them and, and so check out that, but there's also behind the scenes. My short films are all on YouTube um trailers to my features and then you can my features will be out there in the world hopefully soon so awesome well uh josh thank you so much for doing this and hey, maybe we'll be me. able to get you back one of these days for sure definitely anytime hello gerald from two peas on a podcast here so you're listening to a podcast that you love right now Chances are I love it too. In the independent podcast community, we all support each other, which is why you're currently hearing this promo. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about my show in the hopes that maybe you'll check it out. I welcome a different co-host each week, usually other podcasters, friends of mine, or random folks from the entertainment industry. Together, we count down our top five favorite things for whatever that week's topic is. It's often centered around music, movies, TV, and pop culture. We have over 250 episodes spanning nearly five years of programming, so there's bound to be something on our feed that's just for you. We release new episodes of Two Peas every Wednesday. For links to all of our content and to subscribe via your favorite podcast app, just go to our website. It's www.twopeasonapod.com. We can't wait to welcome you to the party. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about the Mitchells versus the Machines. If you haven't checked the movie out yet, make sure to check it out. Like we talked about, I mean, Netflix, trying new things, but uh, I want more people to see this movie. And hopefully hopefully they do have something in store for, for getting everybody talking about this. And not just us weird film podcasters and all that stuff. Because uh, this is definitely a movie that could appeal to, I think, everybody. But thanks to Josh for joining me on that episode. It was a great conversation. Check out all of his work. Links will be in the show notes. And... Also, make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, we're on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Pocket Casts, on all the major podcast apps. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you are subscribed. Also, follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show. And also, uh, don't forget to rate and review us. Five stars would be amazing. One last thing, uh, we do have a Patreon, so check that out. It's the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, which combines content from everything I'm involved in, whether it's Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, Bird Road, All Rice, No Beans, and my music career. So lots of great content over on the Produced by David Rosen Patreon. If you really enjoy what we're doing and want to support the show, support my music, support everything else that we're up to, maybe uh, become a subscriber. The more subscribers we get the more content we're going to make. So check that out. Patreon.com slash by David Rosen. So let's close this thing out with a piece of music like I always do. I'm currently just drowning in this film that I'm scoring. <laughs> it is a, it's a big project, but it's coming out really well. Um, but I need to go get back to that now, and I don't even know when I'm going to fit in more podcasting, but I will. I will find time for it. But uh, speaking of music and all the music work I'm working on, let's jump back to my first album of instrumental music, Echoes in the Dark, because I want to play a fun, upbeat track to go with the Mitchells vs. Machines. And I don't have a lot of fun, upbeat tracks in my discography. A lot of it's like serious and dark and uh, dramatic. But this one's pretty fun, I think, and uh, definitely very upbeat. It's a track called Frozen. Again, it's from my first album, Echoes in the Dark, which is available on iTunes, on Spotify, all of, all of the digital music services. 
So uh, enjoy this track, and I think our next episode is going to be a Missing Pieces, but whatever it is, we will be back with more Piecing It Together really, really soon. So thanks so much for listening. West Production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.